Today we're going to be in James chapter 1 again, and we're going to be looking at the power and the importance and the impact of God's Word. If you have a a Bible that has like the headings, which most of them do, um, it says hearing and doing the Word. And so this is kind of where we're landing. The importance of the Word of God, the importance of the Scriptures, the importance of us being connected to God our Father in heaven and to all of the Christians who've gone before us. The one thing that we have in common that is our anchor, that is our bedrock, is the Word of God. Through it we are saved, through it we understand our salvation, through it we understand who we are in the world, through it we understand exactly who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who love unconditionally and people who are also about proclaiming the truth of Jesus. So it's a very fine line, I think, in our minds. I don't think it's quite that fine a line, but I think most of us are a little scared sometimes. Am I going to be too strong on the Jesus-y stuff? Am I too weak on the Jesus-y stuff? Do I push real hard here? Do I say nothing? But then I've not shared the gospel. What do I do? I don't know. I think we get a little worried. And so I think if we would trust the Holy Spirit, we know when to engage. But one of the most important things we can have is a biblical worldview. An understanding of the world as it exists through this book. When this book was written, and it was, began to be written, there, were, there was no United States of America. Shocking, I know. Even the King James Bible, helped to be authored by a king in England, was not the original word. The original word is in Greek and Hebrew. Shocking, I know. But what has continued from the beginning has been this book. So when governments rise and fall, when economies rise and fall, the word of God has remained. And when we lose this as our anchor, we can get through everything. And so James is addressing something that they were dealing with 2,000 years ago. We still still deal with today. People were living lives outside of the teachings of Christ, but saying they were Christians and going to a church and they didn't have a right worldview. And so James is going to push on them, saying you can't just come to church and listen to someone tell you about the Bible. You have to do what the Bible says. And we live in a culture in this world for the last 50 years or so, I would say, that's slowly become more and more about, well, I listen to it, but I'm not doing that. And that becomes a problem. Um, But we're in good company. Because the people who actually saw Jesus alive had the same problem. Um, so we can use that as a little bit of solace, a little bit of motivation, that it's okay to not get it all, but we've got to fight the fight to understand through the Word. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, and let us not just be people who hear the Word or read the Word, but we would do it. And that we aren't just passers-by who come by, church on a Sunday, listen to whatever comes out of my mouth, and then we go about our business on our week thinking nothing of it. Help us to focus on your word. Your word's what matters, and those words help to make us the fullness of your glory. We love you. Amen. So the indwelling word, that even when life is challenging, we want to obey God no matter what. And that's the real issue, is obedience. We are not a culture that likes to obey. From my little children, who I tell them to get outside and play because they're driving me nuts because I'm trying to get stuff done in the house, they need to obey. 
We don't like to obey. It's the thing that we can't stand. It's part of who we are. It's the original sin, disobeying God. It's in all of us. So when you hear things about obey, you need to obey my word, you need to obey what I say, we immediately in our sinful nature go, what? I have to obey you. I'm a grown man. I am not going to, who do you think you are? But then we will submit ourselves to other people's authority. We obey governmental authorities. Try to pull that one off. Don't pay your taxes for a while. See what happens. I don't have to obey you, IRS. Thank you for your home. We will sell it at a fraction of the cost. You now have no place to live. Try to do that. Don't obey the boss in your job. I don't have to do what you say. You're just my boss. Well, go find another job, right? We do that all the time. We put ourselves in places where we allow people to have authority. We obey them. But it seems when it comes to the scriptures, we often go, I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't like that part. I'm not doing that. I'm smarter than that guy. I'm smarter than that lady. I don't have to do that. And so really we have two things going on. Obeying and understanding. Are you willing to obey? So last week we ended with every good gift, the perfect gift. He says that we are the first fruits, that all good things come from God, and we are first fruits in the world. Saying that Christians are first fruits. We're the first ones to get it. We're the first ones to understand salvation. We're a first fruit. Saying that that's, but it's not over. There's more and more and more going to come. And then he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Isn't that about the exact opposite of how we really are? Quick to hear, slow to speak. How often when you're engaging in a, a boisterous debate, you're not even listening to what the person's saying. You're already in your mind formulating how you're going to reply. Doesn't that happen a lot? Happens in our marriages. Happens in disagreements with people that we are in relationship with. Disagreements with the boss. When someone comes to you with a critique. Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Hey, you should do this. Don't you quickly go, well, but the other day you said, we don't listen very well, do we? We don't take that criticism. We don't go, you know, you're probably right. We're not slow to speak. We speak quickly. This happened yesterday with Eli. Eli got to this place. Amber went shopping, took a day away, and um, did some stuff. And then so I was hanging out with the kids and cutting grass for hours and hours and hours. I really need to get a bigger mower. It was for hours, just cutting grass. And then I come inside, and they're doing all right. And, I mean, they're kids. They're going to fight a little bit. They're siblings. It's going to happen. And so we, Eli just felt like, before I even got out of my, I said to him, because Savannah yelled, or he yelled at Savannah, and they were, she was supposed to be in the shower, and something happened. And I was downstairs, put some things away, and I holler up the stairs at him, which I probably shouldn't. I probably walked up the stairs and engaged him, but I was downstairs. And I said, what did your sister do to cause you to yell? He didn't hear what I said. He comes down the stairs almost in tears, saying, why are you yelling at me? Why did you say I shouldn't? Eli, I, what I said was, what did your, I'm asking, what did your sister do that made you yell? I know she's up there being Savannah. She did something that caused you to yell. So, 
But he didn't hear that. He heard me attacking him for yelling at his sister, and he felt like I was coming down on him all day long. He didn't hear what I said. He didn't listen. How often have we done that when someone, a boss, a colleague, someone we trust, someone we love has come and said, hey, this needs to change, this is going on, we immediately start retaliating. Well, you don't know what they're doing over there. How, why are you coming down on me? When, right? Isn't that how we do things? And so James is addressing it pretty early in the Christian church. That we should be people that are slow to speak. We listen. We're listening. We care about people's hearts. We listen. We don't immediately have answers to all of their problems. Have you ever been to a person like that? You go to seek wise counsel and they don't even listen. You come and say, hey, i got some problems, and they're just immediately trying to give you, here's a book to read, here's a thing to do, go to this website, could you make an appointment? Oh, it's been ten minutes, i got things to do, and they just shoo you out of the room. They're not even taking the time to listen. Are you that kind of good friend to each other, where you're going to listen, and because it shows care, instead of just shuffling them out of the room. So James is saying, you need to be slow to speak slow to anger, because where we see anger coming out of you, then how can the righteousness of God be inside you when anger always comes out? It's not an issue of just dealing with anger. It's an issue of you don't have the indwelling word. You aren't seeking Christ in your relationships. People that are hot-headed, quick to anger, you can probably ask them some probing questions, not when they're really mad at you, because you've got to let them cool down, right? Like, when's the last time you were alone with the Lord? When's the last time you were just quiet? When's the last time you weren't just busy and you weren't just filling with this, all this stuff? When's the last time you really spent an extended time with God? Well, I don't have time for that. I think we know the problem. So James is addressing this issue of anger. A constant talker cannot hear what anyone else has to say. That doesn't mean me right now. Okay. Verse 21. Therefore... Where am I at? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, so he's telling us the solution. If you're quick to speak and you're, you're, you're too quick to speak, and that's what we see, that's, the, that's kind of the flavor of the day. Since the first Gulf War and the creation of 24-hour news and it's a constant... Like things, un- things are unfolding and everyone's just speaking before you know any of the facts. Isn't that what happens? You just put people to talk. And then you find out three days later, well, that wasn't true. This didn't happen. Well, we had not, uh, right? And then you're constantly, then it, it, it hooks you. Well, now i got to keep listening because everything's changing all the time. And you find the real story two weeks later. You probably could have just turned the TV off for two weeks and then listen and go, well, okay, that's all right. Like I know... I'm old enough to remember nightly news where there was a half hour, an hour at the evening after the local news, and that's all the news you got. And so that organization, that evening news, had all day to flesh out any kind of journalistic issues, do some good research, and they would lay it out for us. And now it's on our fingertips constantly. Satellites will pump it into your car nonstop, won't they? It's all over. So how do we stop that? James gives us the answer. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. 
With meekness here doesn't mean like a timid, scaredy cat or a meerkat or a meek cat or what. This is a humbleness. With humility, receive the word. Thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. I'm approaching the word with a humble heart. I'm not approaching the word saying I have all the answers and I'm going to give them to God. That I'm smarter than God. I'm smarter than the last 2,000 years of church history. That I'm smarter because I have access to Google on my phone. That I'm smarter because my experiences trump all biblical theology, trump all of history, because I have had a personal experience trumps everything in God's word. Instead, we humbly go, I don't get you, God. I don't understand this. I don't know if I can ever get this, but I trust you. I love you. Will you reveal yourself to me in your word? This is hard. How do I do this? How do I believe this? How do I understand this? That kind of humility leads to answers. But an arrogance that says, well, God, I don't think this is a sin. And it's your job to prove to me that it is. So I'm going to do this. Nope. Behold, the two sons are with them. That has nothing to do with what I asked you, God. I guess you have no answers. But isn't that kind of what we do? We form our opinion, and then we take it to God's word, and we, we kind of challenge God. I have my thoughts. You prove me wrong, God. Is that his job in his word? His job is to consistently reveal himself. He doesn't owe you all of those explanations. But a humble heart, he'll give them to you. Do you really go after his word and go after the questions that chew up your brain with the humility? So how do you not have a quick, quick temper? How do you learn how to listen well? You study the word. You humbly go to the word. How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to do this? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now this is a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek, ridiculous analogy thrown in by James to understand the ridiculousness of someone who just looks and then turns away and forgets everything that's inside the book. So he's saying it's like a man who looks in a mirror Looks intently. I think I figured out what my face looks like. And then I turn away and go, do I even have a beard? I didn't even know I had that. I'm surprised by that. We need to look to be, to be doers and not just hearers. And if we're a hearer of the word, not a doer, it's like a man who doesn't really know what he's talking about. That we can't just pass through, get a sprinkling of the Bible, and then expect to really live it that way. If you're going to be a doer of the word, you have to spend time in the word. And that can come in a hundred different ways. Sunday school, church, a small group, you listen to the Bible. If you're not a reader and reader has not been easy for you, you can find the Bible on audio in a hundred ways. And if you want one, I'll get you one. You can get a different translation that's easier to read until you're ready to read a a word-for-word translation. You can read a verse at a time. I know all those Bible reading plans have you reading like a whole book, and sometimes that's so daunting, especially when you're first trying to humbly come before the Lord and go, I don't get this. I don't know. You want me to read the whole chapter? Then just do a verse a day. 
The point isn't this is a race to the end and you've got one year to be super smart. You've got a lifetime to implant the Word of God in your heart. The danger in this is think of how many times in our world someone has claimed Christ and done something out of complete evil. And it makes the whole church look false. It makes Jesus look like a fool because people aren't following the word. And I'm not saying it's easy. But anybody, that like there's a pastor in Sacramento that's being protested today. And in his claims, he said that he wished more had died in Orlando. That he wished the guy had finished the job. He claims to be a pastor of a church in Sacramento. I would claim, I could make the claim, I don't know that he even has the saving grace of Jesus Christ in his heart. Because I don't know that anybody who could claim Christ, who is a teacher of the word, who reads the word, could come to a biblical worldview that any sin should be destroyed and image bearers of God should be wiped off the face of the earth. Anybody that says that, I have a biblical right to question your salvation and whether you should even be speaking. Because I can't come from this book and say that people deserve to die because of sin or because of where they're at or because of their standing on a street corner or because they're at a, a marathon running. I can't see anywhere in here that says image bearers of God should be dead. And if you can find that, then come have coffee with me. You'll be wrong, but we'll talk about it. That's a clear, weak old example of someone who might be a hearer of the word, but is not a doer. You can't say that. You can't take a biblical command by Jesus Christ to love your neighbor and then turn it into evil and wickedness put on your neighbor. The Bible doesn't say, love your neighbors you go to church with and who are Christians too. The Bible says, love your neighbor, whoever they are. I've got great neighbors now, but I've had some doozies. And I'm called to love them. No matter where they are in their faith, no matter where they are in their thoughts, their actions, you're to love your neighbor. And how could like, it blow? It boggles the mind. This last week, um, the Southern Baptist Convention had their yearly convention. <laughs> convention, convention. So the Southern Baptists got together in St. Louis, and they had several things put on the docket. It's the largest evangelical denomination in the United States, and so people are always voting for things. They have big votes, and they're voting for this. And so uh, Russell Moore, who is the chairman of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Council, the arm, kind of the political arm of the Southern Baptist Church, if you watch CNN or Fox News, he's been on there multiple times. Um, he's an equal opportunity um, irritator of people. Um, he, he, is, he is invited to go to the pro-life um, organizations, and then he will talk about how... Um, it's a biblical command to defend the unborn. And then he'll also end up over here irritating people. Um, and he even, he's even famous now because Donald Trump said he was a nasty man because he went through a whole political thing saying this guy's not an evangelical. 
He's not even close to it. And so you have him irritating on all sides. I don't think the Democrats like him. I don't think the Republicans like him. He's just, he's just sitting there going, I'm going to teach the gospel, so none of you should like me because none of you are following it. So he's just kind of going after it. Well, he was asked a very alarming question at the Southern Baptist Convention. He was asked the question, why did you support the building of mosques in cities? Why did you support religious liberty for other faiths to have their buildings built? So I thought I'd let you watch it. Your question. Uh, yes, my name is John Walford. I pastor Armorell Baptist Church in Armorell, Arkansas. And I have a question for Dr. Moore. I would like to know how in the world someone within the Southern Baptist Convention can support the defending of rights for Muslims to construct mosques in the United States when these people threaten our very way of existence as Christians and Americans. They are murdering Christians, beheading Christians, imprisoning Christians all over the world. Uh, do you actually believe that if Jesus Christ were here today that he would support this and that he would stand up and say, well, let us protect the rights of those Baal worshipers to erect temples to Baal? Do you believe that, Dr. Moore? You know, sometimes we have to deal with questions that are really complicated, and we have to spend a lot of time thinking them through and, and, and not sure exactly uh, what the final result was going to be. Sometimes we have really hard decisions to make. This isn't one of those things. What it means to be a Baptist is to support soul freedom for everybody. And brothers and sisters, when you have a government that says we can decide whether or not a house of worship can be constructed based upon the theological beliefs of that house of worship, then there are going to be Southern Baptist churches in San Francisco and New York and throughout this country who are not going to be able to build. And the bigger issue, though, is not one of self-interest. The bigger issue is the fact that we have been called to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A government that has the power to outlaw people from assembling together and saying what they believe, that does not turn people into Christians. That turns people into pretend Christians, and it sends them straight to hell. The answer to Islam is not government power. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the new birth that comes from that. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Pretty powerful statement, I would say. Now, what does the Bible say about Baal worship? Is it accepted? No. Why was God angry at Baal worship in the Old Testament? Because they were taking Baal and adding him to the temple, weren't they? They were putting images of a false god in the temple. What did Paul say when he was on the when he's on Mars Hill? What does Paul say when he goes up to Mars Hill? When he sees all of these people worshiping false gods, what does he say? He goes, "Um, you worship an unknown god. Can I tell you about that one?" Did he do any of that? Did he say you should all die because you believe someone different? Did he say you can't have your house of worship? Did Jesus, what house of worship did Jesus cleanse in the Gospels? The temple itself. Did he go around to all the pagan worshipers and throw them out? What did he do to the lady at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well? Samaritans did not 
historically, they do support and they do believe in the same God as Jews, but in a very different way, to the point where Jews would not interact with Samaritans. Did he go to them and say, what did he say? He presented himself as truth, and they were saved. That's being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Now, did Russell Moore say that Muslims are going to go to heaven? Did Russell Moore say that all Muslims, did he, did he profess a universalist understanding of faith? Did he lay out that we all get to go to heaven? Of course not. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's a hard place to be. You're going to fight for religious freedom, for a house of worship of some other God to exist, but then you're also going to go over here and say, go ahead and build your house so we can be neighbors, and I can tell you about the real God. That's a much more difficult endeavor than to say, let's just get rid of them all, isn't it? But isn't that what we're called to? Are we called to easy lives in the gospel? Are we called to easy relationships in the love of Jesus Christ? Are we called for it all to be nice and pretty and tied up with a bow and it's all perfect and happy and we just, you know, suck on lollipops and drink all kinds of sodas and just enjoy life and be happy and sugary and great? He calls us to tense and tough times. He calls us to love a neighbor, to love a community, to love a people that we may disagree with fundamentally about the truth of Jesus Christ, but we're going to love them. Because the love of Christ is what's going to compel people to the truth of Christ. Not this kind of rhetoric. It doesn't work. It never has and it never will. We take bullets for our neighbors to show them the truth of Jesus Christ. We don't kick them down. Now James is really reiterating the Sermon on the Mount. You should start to see this as we continue through James. James is really giving us a practical commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because we hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then we will then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He continues. You can't just stop there because that's pretty dark. Everyone, that who, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What's Jesus saying? Do the word. Be doers of the word. Take the words that I say. Whatever I speak, what I say. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, do the word of God. Jesus is saying this. So how can we tell? Are you a doer of the word? Do you humbly approach the word of God? Do you care about fulfilling the word of God in our communities? Do you follow what it says? And when you don't understand it, do you dig in so you do understand it? James continues, But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no healer, I'm sorry, I need to read it in here. I can't read my little screen. 
Oh, I'm losing all my stuff. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So where does blessing come from? Doing. It's not enough just to hear it. Now this is not works-based righteousness. We'll get to that, I think it's next week, maybe the week after. There is, this isn't works-based righteousness. You don't earn salvation. But as someone who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you're motivated to work. You share, you love, you care, you do things. The perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Whoever looks into the word, whoever looks to the face of Christ, will persevere. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, how hard is it to be unstained from the world? I mean, pretty hard, isn't it? So think of all the things that happen in the course of a week that go outside of a biblical worldview. Now, this has happened all throughout history. This isn't just the worst it's ever been. It's been all over. You can't tell me that people, I've, I don't have access or records of the times during World War II or World War I, but you have entire nations warring against each other. That's a pretty big shot to people's faith in Jesus Christ. When you have all of this happening around the world, people dying in the thousands each day, it's crazy, right? Entire towns demolished by bombings on both sides of conflict. We see it all over. And we could go, what's happening? And today we're addressed with a new version of that. But if we have a biblical worldview, an understanding of how God works, that everything that's happening in this world that's evil is because of sin, and all good things come from the Father. That's what we studied last week. And so in light of that truth, that we are first fruits, we're saved by grace, then we become doers of the word. We can step into the gap when people are in danger, and we don't have this overwhelming fear because we know where we're going to be when we do get killed. We can stand in the gap for refugees who are being terrorized all over the world. We can pray. We can welcome people into our congregations. We may disagree with theologically, but they're in great pain, so we love our neighbors. We care deeply for them. And in that deep care of a relationship, we earn the right to maybe talk about biblical things. Or we might never get that right, but we're still called to love our neighbors. And I have to admit, it drives me a little bonkers when I watch the news. So this week, I had to fast from it. Because I started getting really angry. And that's a side that existed in me early in my 20s, when I first started teaching high school, when I would, I would, I caught myself yelling back at the television this week. And that used to be how things worked in my house. Amber would hear me talking, and I was yelling at reporters and people, and I had to just quit and go, I can't do this. Because it, it starts to work on my spirit. It starts to work on my heart that 
How dare these people say these inflammatory things? Don't you act like a representative of my faith on this television show? Like, I start getting really irritated. Or it's the opposite. How dare you be so dense? Like, well, don't you see that there's problems in the world? We can't just legislate morality. Like, what is your, what are you doing? More education, like all the stuff that we just, it's, we're bombarded with it constantly. I had to just quit. And instead, I focused on my sermon. And I said, I need to be a doer of the word. It doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't matter. I think we're kind of doomed either way. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm just praying for Jesus to come back about like, you know, October. That'd be awesome. It doesn't matter because I'm going to be a doer of the word regardless. No matter who's in charge of the city council, the commissioners, who's in charge of the state, no matter what happens at the university, no matter how many jobs are lost, no matter what's going on, I'm called to be a doer of the word. Which means when the bottom falls out of people's lives, we as a church help pick them back up. That I will always show the truth and the, the truth of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ to everyone, no matter what happens. Whether it's been a layoff or it's been a diagnosis of brain cancer. Jesus is the answer to all of these problems. Do you have an abiding relationship in him? And if you're struggling, are you focusing on the indwelling word? Do you push your faith away when times get bad? Or do you bring it in close and hold it tight? I've seen it happen both ways. And the people that get through their tragedies with hope, and they can reclaim their joy, are the ones that pull their faith in close. And the ones that push Jesus away, he still loves them, but it's infinitely harder for them to gain back their joy. That only happens when we are focusing on the indwelling word that he's put in you. So last thing, just a phrase. Followers of Christ should receive, God's words, should receive God's word humbly, remember it constantly, and obey it wholeheartedly. Do you see the progression? You can't obey it wholeheartedly if you don't approach it humbly. It's not possible. Because then you just become a legalist. Then you're just throwing things at people. You're just throwing fear verses and scare quotes at people. You humbly approach the word. God, I need you. Open my eyes. I know how to read. I'm literate, but sometimes I'm so dense. Show it to me. Please, please reveal yourself to me. Please pray, then read, and humbly take whatever is in his word and start to chew on it and bring it in close to your heart. And then we constantly try to remember it. Memorizing scripture. A consistent struggle of mine is something that I work hard to try to continue to put Scripture into my heart and into my head. So those moments where I've not just got my nose in my Bible or on my Bible and my phone or whatever, that I have His Word implanted in my heart and in my head and I can constantly reflect on it. That I'm going to read some of God's Word every single day. No matter how small or how big, I'm going to continually go after His Word. And then I can obey it wholeheartedly. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a year. It happens over a lifetime. 
that if you are consistently reading this love letter to you and to me, then it becomes more easy to obey it wholeheartedly because you know it's good. You know it's right. You know it's true. You know it's from the king of the universe. You know it's from the one who stepped on the cross for your sin. And then we can do it. We can be doers of the word. Now I'm not encouraging you as you turn on your televisions today or this week to go, he's not a doer. She's not a doer. How dare that come out of their mouth? It's meant for you to think about your own heart. It's meant for you to think about, am I doing God's word? How many times have we heard people say things like, well, I'd really like to help the poor. Why are you talking about it? Just go do it. I really wish there was something I could do for this community. All you're doing right now is talking about it. How about go do something? Well, I really wish that we could do more things in the church, or I really wish somebody would... If you're saying it and you've identified it, maybe you're the one that should be doing it. Too often we kind of rest on the, well, I'd be willing to do that, instead of saying, I'm going to do it. And that's for all of us. That as God builds our hearts to have a biblical worldview and understand his word and his love for us, we do things. Not out of just blind obedience, but out of love and joy because we want others to know him and know him more. So we can let the current political... Like, do you remember a few years ago when Dan Quayle was challenged for his intellectual ability to be president because he misspelled potato? (laughs) Do you remember that? As an Indiana boy, I remember that quite well. And there were news reports that during that time saying he was unfit to be president because he misspelled potato. And look at where we are now. <laughs> there is more anger and debased conversation that I have ever seen in politics in my life. And it is a... It's not the disease, but it's a symptom of people who are just playing lip service to the truth of Jesus Christ, and they're not doing it. To where a nation that's slipping farther, and a world slipping farther and farther away in the West from a biblical worldview, this is going to become par for the course. And we as Christians get to step into that mess and say, that's not my Jesus. Would you like to hear about my Jesus? Would you like to study his word with me? Would you like me to share with you the truth of the gospel? So don't just walk around with the dark cloud. It's a ripe opportunity for the truth to bust through the darkness. And if that's what God's giving us over the next few years, then so be it. We're to be doers of the word no matter who's in charge. Because ultimately our Father in heaven is the one who's really sovereignly in control. Let's pray. Tell me, Father, thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for the truth of your word. And help us to be doers of that word. Let us not just um, come to church and listen to a sermon and then forget all about you during the week. Help us, drive us to the heartbeat of your word that we would be doers of all that you have given us. It doesn't start with these giant 
miraculous things. It usually starts with very small steps. So help us to have the discipline and the diligence to take small steps to know your word more so we know you more. Because ultimately that's the point, to grow in our affection for you now and forever. We love you, Jesus. Amen.